I recall when I was growing up, one of our favorite family movies was The Ten Commandments. You know, the one by Cecil B. DeMille, starring such actors as Edward G. Robinson, Yule Brenner, and of course, Carlton Heston as Moses. We can vividly see Moses talking to God as he appears as the magnificent burning bush. We can see God going before his people as the pillar of cloud. And we can vividly imagine the famous parting of the Red Sea in the passage I just read. We can see the wall of water turning back and the dry land appearing with the hundreds of thousands of Israelites walking through the Red Sea on dry land. And we can see the Egyptians pursuing them with all of the horses and chariots crashing into the sea. Many of us as Christians often feel disconnected from the vibrant spirit-filled ministries of the prophets and apostles described in the Bible. In the Old Testament, God seemingly took the people of Israel through dramatic and miraculous event after event. In the New Testament, those who watched the ministry of Jesus were amazed at the miracles that he performed as he multiplied loaves of bread, as he turned water into wine and even walked on water. And the apostles in the early church performed signs and wonders among the people. And yet today, such miraculous events seem rare. And when we do hear reports of miracles, we as Christians are skeptical. At the very least, we feel that there is something different about the way that God worked in the Old and New Testament periods and the way he works today. This raises a valid question. Why don't we experience today the miracles that we read about in Scripture? Are the miracles of the Old and New Testaments gone for good? Why can't I walk on water? Where's my burning bush? Why isn't God parting the Red Sea in my suburb? To begin to answer these questions, we must first take a look at the purposes of miracles in the Old and New Testaments. Miracles in Scripture are acts of God that proclaim His sovereign power over creation, as well as His commitment to the good of His people. In short, miracles tell us that God is God and that he is working in the world and working through others to share his message and to do his will in his kingdom. In the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets were given the words to speak and the power to perform miracles by God so that they could help do God's work in the world. And the miracles of the New Testament age revealed that Jesus is God, and they also authenticated his apostles. In fact, the scope of Jesus' healing shows the breadth of his authority. He heals the sick, he casts out evil spirits, and cures a variety of specific conditions, a flow of blood, a withered hand, blindness, deafness, paralysis, leprosy, and fever. He resuscitates the dead, and exercises power over nature. Because of Jesus' miraculous works, those who saw him 
knew that the God of Israel was once again in their midst. Jesus' saving work inaugurates the kingdom of God. So then how about today? Do miracles still happen? Author M. Scott Peck once wrote in his famous book, The Road Less Traveled, in thinking about miracles, I believe our frame of reference has been too dramatic. We have been looking for the burning bush, the parting of the Red Sea, the bellowing voice from heaven. Instead, we should be looking at the ordinary day-to-day -day events in our lives for evidence of the miraculous. Indeed, God is at work in the ordinary day-to-day -day events of our lives, working endlessly in God's kingdom. Theology professor and author Justin Holcomb assures us that miracles still happen, and Christians should avoid the two extremes of seeing everything as a miracle and nothing as a miracle. God is active in our everyday lives. He is miraculously calling people to him as his church grows and expands. He is active in miraculous ways among people we don't even know around the world. So then how do we become more fully aware of the active work, the miracles that God is doing in the world today? It is by simply choosing God. Choosing God. Choosing God each and every day and cultivating an ongoing awareness of the divine presence of God in our lives. By choosing God and being attentive and aware of the presence of God in our lives, we will be attuned to God's work in the world and to God's miracles in our lives and in the lives of our communities. We have looked to Jesus as the absolute perfect example of surrendered willfulness and the embodiment of miracles. We saw him preferring the will of his Father to his own, even in the face of his agonizing desire to do otherwise. We saw the same trust and willingness in Mary, his mother. At the Annunciation and throughout her life, Mary's posture in response to God was simply this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. But the Holy Family gives us one more remarkable example of submission to God's will and attentiveness to God. Joseph, the father of Jesus. Joseph is easily overlooked. He easily recedes in the background of the story of Jesus' life. Joseph was a man who was willing to allow God to interrupt his life. Joseph was willing to be awake to the presence of God and the work of God in his life. Like Mary, he had a life and he had plans for his future, and Mary was part of that future. Engaged to be married, he was filled with the hopes and dreams of anyone in that stage of their life. Finding his fiance to be pregnant by somebody else was not part of that dream. Joseph's submissive openness to God's will is every bit as astounding as Mary's. However painful the discovery of her pregnancy 
must have been his love for Mary made it impossible for him to pursue the obvious solution of saving his reputation by quickly and publicly denouncing her. Instead, he decided that the way to deal with this disastrous situation that they both faced was the secret dissolution of their relationship. At least this would save Mary's reputation, if not rescue her from her dilemma. But God's plan was something different. The book of Matthew tells us that after Joseph made up his mind of what he should do, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. And his response illustrates the simplicity and freedom of life of consent and con attunement to God. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. We don't know how Joseph learned to have such confidence in the goodness of the will of God. Scriptures are silent on his past experiences with God as they are what must have been his inner turmoil at this revelation. But they make this important point. Joseph was attentive to God by not failing to hear God's words even in a dream. And Joseph was open to God by immediately doing what God asked. Joseph willingly accepted God's right to invade his life and turn it upside down. Joseph was awake to the presence of God in his life. This trust was soon to be tested further. Not long after the birth of Jesus, Joseph was again visited by yet another angel in his dreams. This time he was told to get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod who wanted to kill Jesus. And, and again, Joseph immediately did what he was told, leaving Egypt that same night. So just think of this for a moment. If you or I had a dream of God telling us to leave the United States, pack up all of our belongings, quit our jobs, pack up our babies, all of their toys, and leave, and we followed that dream, only to come back to our suburb and find out that every baby boy had been murdered, we would say that was a miracle. But the bigger question is, would we have listened to the dream and followed God? Would we have been attuned to God? Joseph lived a life of being attuned to God and consenting to God's will. He was willing to put God's plan for his life ahead of his own. God captured Joseph's attention. And Joseph remained attuned and receptive, ever attentive to where God was in his life and where he was being led. Chosen by God for the astounding responsibility of parenting Jesus, Joseph had a servant heart that was shaped by his readiness to find his place in God's kingdom. 
and surrender what seemed to be his natural rights to the kingdom of self. Joseph's lifelong yes to God reveals a will shaped by love. A love that allowed Joseph to open his heart and mind to God's kingdom and see the world through the lens of God. Friends, when we are open to the work of God, we can enter into God's kingdom and start to witness God's miracles in our lives, just as Joseph did. Sometimes our miracles will stand out like burning bushes. Sometimes we may feel like we are walking on water. Or sometimes the miracles may seem hidden and unseen. But nevertheless, our eyes are open to God's work in this world. So then how do we learn to see God in our lives? How can we become attuned to God's work in our lives and the lives of others? We can look to the story on the road to Emmaus found in the book of Luke chapter 24 to begin to give us some answers to this part of the journey. The story tells us about two dazed and distraught disciples traveling along the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It was Sunday, the third day of the most traumatic weekend of their lives, and they were on a roller coaster of emotion. Two days ago, these disciples, along with many others, had witnessed the painful, humiliating death of their beloved leader, teacher, and friend. That night and throughout the day on Saturday, they sat with each other in utter despair. And now on this day, a glimmer of hope had been introduced into the situation. Some of the women in their group had visited the tomb in which their leader had been buried and found it empty. There was talk of a resurrection, but it was too soon to tell whether it was a miracle or some sort of hoax. They had hung around waiting for a long time, but it was now time to get back to their lives. Their dream of what the kingdom of God would look like as it emerged from their little community, their hopes and dreams on which they had oriented the last three years of their life, the vision that had caused them to give up fishing and tax collecting in order to commit themselves to following Jesus for three years, it was all gone. Each one had been part of a community of Jesus and now they had to come to terms with life on the other side of death, the death of their dream. They had to figure out what to live for now, that the vision that brought order and purpose to their lives was no more. Not knowing what else to do, Cleopas and another disciple were wandering home trying to make sense of it all. They were suspended somewhere between loss and possible gain, grief and maybe joy, profound human suffering, and perhaps some sort of redemption, dashed hopes and perhaps hoping again. They were wrung out emotionally, spiritually, and physically. They had been powerless to prevent the event of the last three days, and they were powerless to do anything 
to change their situation. The road from Jerusalem to Emmaus was the road between the now and the not yet. And although they were probably not aware of it, these disciples were in what author Richard War calls liminal space, a particular spiritual position where we humans hate to be, but where God is always leading us. It is where you are on the threshold of something in your life. You have left something or it has left you and you have not let landed. You are suspended. This is Abraham leaving his home country and his father's house for a land he did not know yet. It is Joseph in the pit. It is the Israelites wandering in the wilderness between Egypt and the promised land. It is Jonah in the belly of the fish. It is Mary at the tomb. It is the disciples huddled in the upper room. And it is the disciples on the road to Emmaus in suspended disbelief on what just happened to Jesus two days before and not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go next. For us in modern times, this disrupting event could be something as traumatic as losing a major job, the breakup of a marriage, the loss of a loved one, the betrayal of a relationship. Or it can be something much more subtle, the movement of God in your life, a shift of focus an insight of what you want to do next with your life. It can be as simple as opening yourself up to the presence of God and the path for your life. What is particularly interesting is that in this crisis, in this liminal space of not knowing and the not yet, the disciples chose to do this together. They chose to do this in community they chose to walk together and to talk together. And the disciples weren't doing anything very complicated. They weren't doing a major Bible study or time of worship or prayer. No, they were just sharing the stuff of their lives, their brokenness, and they were crying out to God. They were discerning the work of God in their lives together in community. Learning to recognize the presence of Christ in all of life is called discernment. Discernment is a lifelong process, a lifelong learning process. And like the disciples, we can choose to do this alone, or we can choose to break bread in community and have our eyes opened together. The entire Emmaus Road experience was really a process in discerning the presence of Christ on the road, in scripture, in conversation, and in a meal. The issue was never whether Christ was present as he surely was. The issue was whether the, the disciples had the capacity to recognize him. And that was something that was developed with God's grace over time as they shared their journey.
their ability to, to discern the presence of Christ progressed throughout the story. At first they saw him as a stranger, then as a traveling companion, then as a teacher, then as a guest, a host, and finally as their beloved Messiah, the resurrected Lord. There are real obstacles to discernment, and the truth is we all have blind spots that prevent us from recognizing the presence of Christ and the work of Christ in our lives. And this is where we can help each other in community, in being a discerning traveler. Sometimes the obstacles of seeing Jesus can look like this. Am I so consumed in my grief and sorrow for the loss of my loved one that I'm unable to sense the presence of Jesus who is walking alongside me and comforting me in my grief? Have I become so disillusioned with my life that I've given in to cynicism? Is my life so focused on the details of me making everything so relentlessly personal that I cannot see the things from a larger perspective of God and what he might be up to? Am I so taken with my human wisdom and the wisdom of the world that I can't possibly see the wisdom of God, which often includes the rhythms of waiting and suffering and waiting and finally, resurrection. Am I so focused on myself and my own agenda that I forget to ask God, what is he up to? And how can I join in? Friends, the practice of discernment, attuning ourselves to the presence of God is a lifelong learning process. It is a necessary process, especially for us as modern day followers of Jesus so that we can be present to God's ongoing work in our lives and so that we can be present to God's ongoing work in God's kingdom. Whether or not we are privileged to witness obviously miraculous events, we can be confident of God's active work in the world, bringing people to him, bringing glory to Jesus and building up his church. We just need to attune ourselves to the presence of God's good work in our lives in the world so that we can participate more fully in the miracles of God in his kingdom.